0: The Russian military has begun a brutal assault on the people of Ukraine. Without provocation, without justification, without necessity. This is a premeditated attack.
1: A major invasion is underway of Ukraine by the Russian Federation. Vladimir Putin has decided to ignore all the warnings of diplomacy and the economic sanctions that have already been taken against his country to go in with a three-pronged assault by sea, land and air from the north, the east and the south of Ukraine to take territory and to smash the Ukrainian military and government as fast as he can. As you can see here, there is fighting, there's ongoing hostilities all over Ukraine right now. A lot of the prime a lot of the forces, the primary forces the Russians have deployed coming in for fighting in and around Kyiv as well as Kharkiv uh, Kyiv, also known as Kiev. So you have major cities, the site of some of the uh, the fighting that has already been done. And it's just getting started. There you see on the screen, a Russian aerial attack going on. They tried to seize airfields, important critical infrastructure sites. Overall, this is the scenario that the world, the international community, NATO, and of course, us here at home in America, wanted to avoid a war in Europe once again. Biden is saying that this is unfolding largely as his administration predicted. Watch this.
0: Vladimir Putin has been planning this for months, as I've been, we've been saying all along. He moved more than 175,000 troops, military equipment positions along the Ukrainian border. He moved blood supplies into position and <clears throat> built a field hospital, which uh, tells you all you need to know about his intentions all along. He rejected every good faith effort the United States and our allies and partners made to address our mutual security concerns through dialogue to avoid needless conflict and avert human suffering. For weeks, for weeks, we have been warning that this would happen. And now it's unfolding largely as we predicted.
1: Largely as predicted, he says. This is fascinating because, as we know, Kamala Harris, as vice president, who was also dispatched as something of an envoy on this very issue, was saying on Sunday that the sanctions are meant to prevent war and now we're being told that no one really thought they were going to prevent anything from Putin's perspective. Well, what, which one is it? Let's understand a few things here, folks. What do we really care about as Americans as this is unfolding? There's going to be a lot of talk in the days ahead about the sanctity of democracy. But as we know, we do business with and engage with autocracies all over the world. China, for example, Saudi Arabia, there are a lot of them. So the notion that we are always and everywhere committed to spilling American blood and spending American treasure in the defense of democracy, that's just not really true. Now, we certainly on a humanitarian level want the people of Ukraine to be as safe as they possibly can under the circumstances and for this conflict to end as rapidly as possible. But what are we willing to do to bring that to a conclusion, to bring this to an end? Biden made it clear today that he is not going to send U.S. troops. Here he is saying that there will not be U.S. troops fighting in Ukraine.
0: Although we provided over $650 million in defensive assistance to Ukraine just this year, it's last year, Let me say it again. Our forces are not and will not be engaged in the conflict with Russia in Ukraine. Our forces are not going to Europe to fight in Ukraine, but to defend our NATO allies and reassure those allies in the East. As I made crystal clear, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory with the full force of American power. And the good news is, NATO is more united, And more determined than ever. There is no doubt, no doubt that the United States and every NATO ally will meet our Article 5 commitments, which says that an attack on one is an attack on all.
1: So, Biden making it as clear as he can, really, that there will not be U.S. soldiers, nor U.S. planes, nor U.S. Navy engaged in active combat against this uh, Russian threat in Ukraine. So that seems to be, for now at least, off the table a lot of people don't judge Biden's word as, well, let's just say, all that trustworthy on this matter, considering what we've seen in the past. There'll be a lot of talk about whether Biden's general weakness and aptitude and lack of standing on the world stage was in any way part of Putin's calculation, it seems to be the case, to go into Ukraine. But a lot of folks here at home are looking at this and saying to themselves, We just wanna make sure that we don't do anything, uh, or rather that the people in charge don't do anything in our name that is foolish, that we don't get dragged into a conflict we don't want to have any part of. And also what are the economic consequences of all of this going to be? It's already being talked about that there'll be a rise in gas prices as a result of the economic sanctions here. There'll be a rise in inflation as well. Everything is gonna get more expensive. There'll be economic consequences But Biden's out there as well today trying to reassure us that the pain at the pump will be limited somehow. Listen to this.
0: I know this is hard and that Americans are already hurting. I will do everything in my power to limit the pain the American people are feeling at the gas pump. This is critical to me. But this aggression cannot go unanswered. If it did, the consequences for America would be much worse. America stands up to bullies. We stand up for
1: freedom. This is who we are. We stand up for freedom. True, sometimes, in some places, and hopefully true, most true, when it comes to our own national interests. Certainly freedom here at home will do anything to defend that. Freedom abroad? That's a more complicated question. Now, we've been sending arms and all kinds of uh, material support to Ukraine for years now, including having US military trainers there to make their, their own military in Ukraine a more formidable force. How long will they fight? And what extent will, to what extent will the Russian, uh, Russian war machine be willing to grind on despite taking its own casualties? These are questions that no one can answer right now. This is a dynamic, fluid situation in which the decision makers are going to be constantly evaluating and reevaluating what they're willing to do and what their next move will be. Now, with all of that going on, the faith the American people have in our leadership here at home at a time when there's been a lot of focus on climate change as a primary national security threat, on diversity training in the military, and on uh, the, the transgender rights of servicemen, a lot of things that the Woke left has been pushing, people are recognizing that's not really what national security is all about. And perhaps the Democrats needed a wake up call long before this. I would argue they certainly did that our military and national security readiness cannot be subject to the political whims of the moment. It has to be about what is most effective. Because this conflict could become bigger, this could get larger. Right now, it seems to be just about economic sanctions and diplomatic wrangling and pressure from the outside. Let's hope it stays that way from the U.S. perspective. We'll all be praying for a short conflict here, for this to end as soon as is possible, for Putin to see sense to stop acting in this monstrous way and and, uh, trying to destroy effectively a neighboring government and with it many, many innocent lives. So we'll break this down for you on the show today, getting into some details about what's happening on the ground. We'll talk also with an expert about the Biden response and Putin's possible invocation of nuclear weapons as something in the background of this conflict. And then the European allies, our NATO allies, what are they going to be doing? We'll get into all that coming up on this hold the line. 100 percent of the equity in your home can be stolen by cyber criminals and once it's gone years of hard work and savings are wiped out in an instant the fbi calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes which is why you need to go to hometitlelock.com america's leader in home title protection here's the problem the deed to your home is the only document that really proves you own it and the deeds to all our homes are online now in minutes a criminal can forge your name off the deed to your home and refile as the new owner Like one new homeowner who spent a fortune in legal fees when a thief forged himself onto the deed to his home and then took out loans against it. You need Home Title Lock. Home Title Lock is your peace of mind when it comes to the deed to your home, making sure that it's protected. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now to go check this out. HomeTitleLock.com to protect the deed to your home online. So what is the picture on the ground right now in Ukraine as best we can tell? It's a situation that is likely to become much more violent. Casualties will be mounting in the days ahead. You have land, sea, and air assets of the Russian Federation military that have been deployed. Missile strikes, aerial assaults, ground combat involving Russian special forces. There's a lot going on here. How will the Ukrainian military, which has been receiving American and Western weapons and aid in recent years, be able to respond? How long will they be able to continue on in this fight? Joining us now is Stephen Yates, former Deputy National Security Advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney, and he is a fellow at the America First Policy Institute. Stephen, thanks for being with us.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Buck.
1: Let's start with how do you think the Russian advance is unfolding so far? Pretty much what you expected or even more than had been anticipated on your end?
3: Well, it's, uh, it seems to be a very gradual campaign in some respects. Uh, certainly, the first moves were to establish air dominance and knock out air defense capabilities on the part of the Ukrainians. Uh, the uh, there are significant armaments that the Ukrainian military has. Uh, they've also uh, equipped their citizens. They have somewhat a functional equivalent of a Second Amendment at this point where uh, citizens are encouraged to carry themselves. And so if they need to conduct somewhat of an insurgency uh, and the Russians at some point start going house to house, you have an armed citizenry to resist.
1: Now, the Russians are likely in your mind, Stephen, to do what in the days ahead?
3: Yeah, my sense is that uh, the the first limited objective for Vladimir Putin is to install a friendly regime. Uh, so I think it's maximum pressure uh, to push back any kind of meaningful resistance until it can put in place a different leadership, and then. Well, it's a wait and see, is this where Putin wants to establish this as a formal part of the Russian Federation? Uh, Or is it sufficient to have a friendly government in the sphere of influence that inches toward the Putin dream of reestablishing the Soviet Union?
1: Do you think it's possible that his real goal here is to absorb the entirety of Ukraine over time into the Russian Federation officially? Um, or is the cost of that likely to be too high, both in both in terms of the uh, men and materiel cost to Russia, as well as the outside pressure on their finances?
3: I think there's a lot of evidence that it, that it is his dream to revive uh, these satellite states as a formal part of the Russian Federation or their empire as it was before. I do I, but I also think that they will meet with sufficient resistance that this is going to grind away for some time. Uh, They may be able to flip political leadership. We don't know about the issues related to personal safety or the continuity of government plans that the government of Ukraine may or may not have. Uh, But in terms of actually being able to occupy and hold this very large territory with a population that I think will resist for some time, much iffier prospect.
1: Stephen, you think that there's a possibility? Would you say there's actually, before I ask for, for you to weigh in on that, during the press conference today with uh, Biden, the speech and then the questions uh, that he answered afterwards, uh, there was a moment where he was specifically pushed on China and the role that China could have in this entire situation. Here's how the president responded. Watch. Are you
4: urging China to help isolate Russia? Are you urging China to help isolate Russia?
0: I'm not prepared to comment on that at the moment. Nah,
3: that's what you make, What do you make of that? It's absolutely astonishing. Uh, I mean, number one, why wouldn't the president of the United States even acknowledge whether he has spoken to the president of China of China through all of this? Whether speaking to China in direct connection to Ukraine or speaking to China about don't take the right the you know the wrong message. From what's happening in Ukraine to increase some sense of deterrence on Taiwan or broader East Asia interests. Uh, but for a president who has been bragging about all of the people he has been talking to in recent days and trying to chalk up a win in the diplomatic column in the White House's estimation, it's just breathtaking that he wouldn't say that he's even talked to the leader of China and hinted at what he tried to say. I mean, In the run up to this, he threw all kinds of shade at Putin about the conversations that happened between the leaders and their surrogates, so it's just odd why the silence about
1: China. What do you think China is likely to do at this point? Let's start before we get to the Taiwan question, Stephen, with the issue of sanctions. And we know from the case study, if you will, of North Korea, that if you have Chinese Communist Party deciding to help a country that is on its borders uh, evade sanctions or keep its economy afloat, it can do so. How can China play into making sure that the pressure on Putin isn't so much that he caves the way that the West, NATO and America wants him to based on these economic actions.
3: Unfortunately, there's multiple ways. And that's why I don't have very high estimation of the effectiveness of sanctions against Russia. Uh, It seems to be the only tool that team Biden and the allies have really talked that much about. Uh, but but China has made lots of material available to uh, Russia to try to blunt any kind of economic impact. It, it also sitting on the UN Security Council, uh, if Russia itself isn't chairing a meeting, which it has at the UN Security Council, uh, China will also use its veto to make sure that there is no meaningful package of sanctions. As you mentioned on North Korea, but also on Iran, China has a long track record of blocking the effectiveness of sanctions as a pressure tool. And they said so openly right before this invasion that they they oppose sanctions as a tool of influence. And so I, I think that very that the part of the Russia-China condominium that's very real is they're blocking together International pressure campaigns. Uh, They'll have their own problems down the road with diverging interests, but on this, they see completely eye to eye, and it takes some serious tools out of the U.S. and NATO quiver.
1: Now, on the Taiwan question, there were reports earlier today of Chinese aircraft uh, entering Taiwanese airspace. Not the first time this has happened, but obviously, given the rising temperature in Europe right now and concerns about Spillover effects to the geopolitical scene. People were paying close attention to this. Do you agree with what seems to be almost a consensus analysis out there right now that it's a particularly opportune moment for China to push on the Taiwan issue and could even lead to Taiwan, I mean, China deciding that now is the time to seize Taiwan?
3: I still think that Taiwan is a harder target than a lot of people estimate, Uh, but the signals that are coming from American weakness from the Afghanistan withdrawal to this tragic situation of provocative weakness with regard to the Russian invasion of Ukraine certainly will give a lot of opportunity for Xi Jinping and his government to look to push. Uh, and so uh, even if it's some kind of limited incursion to take an offshore island or two, other forms of pressure, whether a cyber attack or other uh, any other tools that Russia has deployed with Ukraine and see whether China could do the same with Taiwan. There's several damaging things that I do think that Xi Jinping will feel this is a time of opportunity. Going the whole nine yards though, I think it's somewhat similar to Ukraine in that they might be able to take Taiwan for a time. but be resistance and it will be hard to govern and harder to hold over time. But a lot of damage could be done, uh, not just to the people of Taiwan, but to the global supply chain and to the credibility of our alliances now in multiple theaters of the world. Steve Yates, good to see
1: you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Buck. Take care. Coming up, how has the Biden administration specifically responded to this? And also, what about Vladimir Putin's comments that there would be consequences the likes of which we've never seen if America goes too far? We'll talk to Rebecca Heinrichs of the Hudson Institute in just a moment. A lot of companies promise that your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure, spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure uses proprietary encryption and is offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communication is based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland. Big tech can't spy on you. We know privacy is a big issue these days. Secure will never mind your data, never ask for your phone number. They're all about protecting your privacy online. They are your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. Secure only costs $5 for the messenger, $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. In the midst of the war in Ukraine, many are asking the question, could this have been averted? And what is the Biden administration's role in all this, both the lead up to and now the continuation of this military escalation? What could have been done from a diplomatic front? What will be done? And how should we gauge how it's gone thus far from the perspective of diplomacy? Joe Biden, a man who has been on the wrong side of foreign policy matters for over 40 years, is now the commander-in-chief. We have to deal with this reality. Joining us now to talk about this is Rebecca Heinrich. She is a national security expert. Rebecca, thanks for being with us.
5: Happy to be here, Buck. Thank you.
1: So Biden up to this point, here he is when he's asked whether he underestimated Putin. Here's his response. Watch. Did you underestimate Putin? And would you still describe him the way that you did in the summer as a worthy adversary?
0: At the time, he was, I made it clear as an adversary, and I said he was worthy. I didn't underestimate him. And I've read most of everything he's written. Did you read the, I shouldn't say, I'm not a you know, wise guy. The, you, you heard the speech he made, almost an hour's worth of speeches. why he was going into Ukraine. He has much larger ambitions in Ukraine. He wants to, in fact, reestablish the former Soviet Union. That's what this is about. And I think that his, uh, his ambitions uh, are, are completely contrary to the place where the rest of the world has arrived.
1: Rebecca, what do you make of Biden's response there? And what do you think about the question? Did he underestimate Vladimir Putin?
5: Yes, one of the problems with Joe Biden is he has he has long had a hard time knowing who actually poses the serious threat, what degree is the threat, and and how to handle it. I mean, this has been a long-time problem that he has had. Remember, it was not that long ago that he made similar comments about Xi Jinping. About about China really not being that serious of a problem, and then he gets briefings, and then he gets told to say things differently and to characterize things differently, and then he does. But it's very concerning. He that he is he was still very recently calling him a worthy adversary, kind of connoting that there's some sort of um, something. Worthy, something good about Vladimir Putin and his aims. And he had an opportunity here in the press conference to say, I should not have said that. I did underestimate him. I thought that he was more reasonable. I thought that we could negotiate with him and compromise with him. And I was wrong about that because that's the truth of the matter, Buck.
1: There are concerns that Putin may have drawn a red line specifically when it comes to the usage of nuclear weapons. Biden was asked about this. When he gave his speech in the press conference, or impromptu press conference he had afterwards, this is how he views that threat of nuclear weapons, watch.
5: This statement that he gave last night, will, that the, the threat that he gave the West will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. Is he threatening a nuclear strike?
0: I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done, number one. And number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show this is going to take time and we have to show resolve so he knows what's coming.
1: Now, first off, what, what do you make of, of whether or not Russia? The, I mean, is, is Russia, is Putin, in your mind, threatening possible nuclear retaliation if outside forces get involved in this Ukraine conflict? And, and I want to ask you some questions as well, because you are a, a missiles expert as part of your national security portfolio about what kind of tactical nuclear weapons Russia may have at its disposal. But first, is there a real threat of nuclear retaliation in what Putin said?
5: Absolutely. That, that is what that threat is. That is a veiled threat of nuclear employment. And this is not the first time that Putin has done that. His senior officials have been long doing that. that. That's why um you'll hear a lot of commentary about the number of nuclear weapons that Russia has that is a true thing it's a, it's it's a concern how many they have but there's another element about nuclear threats nuclear com, the the nuclear element of this threat dynamic and that's how the Russians think about nuclear employment something that the Trump administration was very attuned to and something that I've been tracking for many years is that the Russians had this idea of escalating a purely conventional non-nuclear conflict, escalating it to a low yield nuclear employment, thinking that that they could threaten this in order to get the United States and NATO to back off. And that's why they have amassed a huge number of theater ranged low yield nuclear weapons that are more credible to think that they might employ them but would be obviously horrific crossing that line from conventional to nuclear. we have got to take this seriously, Joe Biden buck for years has spent his career being this dove when it comes to nuclear weapons, trying to disarm the United States, trying to roll back the number of nuclear weapons we have, trying to limit testing. He opposed uh, President Trump's additions uh, to our nuclear deterrent, and he opposed withdrawing from treaties, um, and even though the Russians were, treating on, were uh, cheating on them. And so it's it's very concerning for someone like me who's been watching this. I mean, we need we we're trying to deter the use of that. So we need to be doing everything we can to convince Vladimir Putin that that would be a major miscalculation on his part to think that we would simply back down. Because if he thinks that, then that is actually going to increase the likelihood that that he could possibly do that. So there definitely is just this Cloud of concern about that veiled threat. And he just tested nuclear delivery systems a few days ago um, as this kind of foreboding um, um, precursor to what he would be threatening when he did actually give the go ahead to this invasion.
1: Do you think that the Russians would actually act on that red line of nuclear, as you said, low yield nuclear weapons uh, usage? If in fact there was some NATO effort to back up the Ukrainians with military force inside of Ukraine's borders,
5: I mean, at, th- at this point, it's it's nuclear brinksmanship. They're using their nuclear weapons coercively. And that's what people think that there's nuclear employment, and then there's nuclear use, meaning you're just you're you're putting them in part of the conversation credibly in order to carry out your your military. Um, uh, campaign and so in that sense he's using them by threatening them. Um, I I think at this point we ought to take it very very seriously. Um, I think that um, I, it's very hard for me to just say definitively, but I think we need to have some humility here. There's a lot of people who just insisted very dangerously that Vladimir Putin wouldn't do what he already has done, and it's this idea of you 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 think that they're going to behave the way you think they ought, and it's called mere imaging. And I saw a lot of that in commentary leading up to this. Oh, he will never do aerial bombardment. Oh, he would never actually go all the way to Kiev. Oh, he would never do this because he would threaten civilian casualties. He is. He is marching all the way through um, Ukraine, and there is a very serious concern, especially you know in the fog of war, missiles are flying, Buck. I mean, more, more than a hundred missiles have landed in a Ukraine, and if you have one errant one or a warplane that that inadvertently even goes into Poland airspace, and then you have a Poland air, I mean, Poland is not going to tolerate that. And then you have a NATO member that is actually being attacked by Russia. And so there's a lot of concern that this thing can can really, you know, bleed into um, an actual confrontation with the NATO alliance. And that's my major concern at this point.
1: Rebecca,
2: thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Buck.
1: What are our European allies, notably NATO allies, going to do about the situation in Ukraine right now, how they have reacted so far, and what should our expectations be about what's coming? We'll talk to Niall
2: Gardner next about just that.
1: How will our European allies react to war in Ukraine? Going on right now, the escalation seems to be something that could spiral further and further out of control in the days ahead. What will this mean for countries on the periphery in Europe? What will it mean for NATO allies and for peace in the region in the future? Is it achievable? Let's talk to Niall Gardner. He's director of the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Center Thatcher for Freedom. Thanks so much. A Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. Thank you for being with us, Niall.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks,
1: Buck. So NATO allies, what are they trying to accomplish right now? What what is it looking like from the perspective of our closest allies when you have this war that Putin has launched in Ukraine?
6: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the the reality is that Europe is deeply divided with regard to the response uh, against Russia. And, you know, on the one hand, you have countries like Great Britain, you know, Poland, the Baltic states, uh, some of our central Eastern European allies, Who've been very strong and robust in the face of Russian aggression. On the other side, uh, you have the likes of Germany and France, and also, of course, the uh, EU elites who have been, you know, going out of their way to try and appease uh, Russia. And you've seen all sorts of peace missions being sent by, you know, the French and the Germans off to Moscow to try and negotiate some kind of, you know, peace deal to avert uh, a war. But they failed spectacularly. And so, you know, you do have a Europe that is very divided, not least because so many European countries are energy dependent upon Russia. The Germans, for example, derive over 50% of their energy supplies from the Russians. Uh, And so, you know, German politicians have been for many, many years, I would say, quite favorable towards Moscow, and certainly opposed to uh, tougher measures against uh, Putin's regime, because they rely upon uh, Russian energy supplies. The French are also heavily energy energy dependent, as are many Western European uh, countries. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're not seeing really the kinds of sanctions in place, the tough sanctions that we need to see applied against Russia. So for example, the US and the UK have both supported the idea of Russia being removed from the SWIFT international banking system. But the Germans in particular have strongly opposed this. Germany is the dominant power in the European Union. And so what Germany says goes within the EU. And so we don't see SWIFT included in the sanctions that Joe Biden outlined today. And I think it's it's also you know, quite a failure on the part of the Biden administration not to apply greater pressure upon uh, Germany and other European countries to to get on board with some of the tougher sanctions. So I I have to say I wasn't tremendously impressed by what Joe Biden outlined today in his press conference at the White House. It left out some of the tougher measures that should have been in place. Uh, And, you know, the Biden White House really hasn't made a great effort in terms of applying pressure on uh, some Western European countries, especially Germany and France.
1: Now, what is the ultimate sanction as you see it here that could be put into place. I mean what would the the SWIFT system obviously you mentioned that would be very uh, that would be uh significant. Biden claims that what they're doing is close to or perhaps even stronger than that already. I wanted your assessment on that but also my understanding is that the sanctions as of now at least against Russia do not affect oil exports. Can you go into some more detail about that cuz it feels like that would be an area you'd want to hit.
6: Yeah. So, you know, firstly, with regard to the sanctions outlined today, um, they're not as strong as removing uh, Russia from SWIFT. If you take Russia out of SWIFT, uh, the Russians are incapable of any kind of international banking transaction. It's it's as simple as that, actually. Because SWIFT, which is based in Brussels and basically is overseen by the European Union, SWIFT is an immensely powerful mechanism. So, you know, what what Biden was saying today was actually, you know, really uh, nonsense in in many respects, and he put an awful lot of spin on this. And anyone who knows, uh, you know, the reality of what Swift does knows that what Biden was talking was really rubbish. Actually, on this on this particular uh, issue, and in terms of the you know the sanctions that are being applied, I mean they are sort of specifically you know aimed at you know various Russian oligarchs, etc. Et but it doesn't really exclude. Russia entirely from the international financial and banking system, which is what really needs to be done. We need to bring the Russian economy to its knees. You know, Russia is not a vast economic superpower. It's the eleventh largest uh, you know economic power in the world. Uh, its its economy is actually only about twice the size of of Poland. It's smaller than the significantly smaller than the British economy. It's smaller than the French economy. Uh, so it's not a large scale um, you know top ten economy, and we're quite quite capable actually of. Frankly, completely um, you know, ruining the Russian economy if we want to do that. But Biden doesn't appear to be willing to impose the kind of sanctions that are needed and also apply the pressure on European countries to support those sanctions. Also, you know, as as you brought up, I mean we're not seeing the kinds of uh, you know energy sanctions that that should be put in place as well and so these are limited sanctions of scope and then Biden was talking about oh let's assess the situation one month from now to see whether we need to strengthen the sanctions russian tanks are rolling into ukraine as we speak there are 200,000 russian troops either massing on the border with ukraine or inside ukraine itself russian forces are 15 miles away from the center of kyiv the capital of ukraine and so we don't have a month to spend you know with tremendous you know, time and luxury to to think about whether these sanctions are going to work or not. The reality is the Russians invading right now. Joe Biden didn't succeed in deterring a Russian invasion. These sanctions are not going to stop a Russian invasion. Uh, and uh, you know we need to have take action on so many other fronts in addition to sanctions. Sanctions are important, but they're not going to stop the Russians from you know from taking the capital city.
1: The United Nations obviously has also failed to prevent the invasion that is now underway. And people are pointing out that Russia has a seat. In fact, Russia is now having Russia has the presidency of the UN Security Council and the Ukrainian representative to the UN Sergei Kizalitsya, uh, was asking them to give it up. Watch this.
3: The Russian Federation ought to relinquish responsibilities of the president of the Security Council pass these responsibilities on to a legitimate member of the Security Council, a member that is respectful of the Charter, and I ask the members of Security Council to convene an emergency meeting immediately and consider all necessary draft decisions to stop the war because it's too late, my dear colleagues, to speak about de-escalation, too late. The Russian president declared the war.
2: Is the UN relevant?
6: Well, right now on Ukraine, it's not, because after all, as you, as you mentioned, you know, the Russians are chairing the Security Council. They're a permanent member of the UN Security Council, Russia and China actively co- collaborating over Ukraine. Uh, and so, two of the five permanent members of the UN Security Council are, are basically, uh, you know, either directly involved with the invasion of Ukraine or backing it. Uh, and so, you know, the UN Security Council isn't going to do anything at all at this time. Uh, and uh, if anything, you know, the UN Security Council through uh, Russia and and China are actually going to be enabling what's going on in Ukraine. So this is the the tragic reality of the situation. You're probably going to have millions of refugees fleeing Ukraine as a result of the war. Um, you know what's what is the UN actually going to do about that? Uh, we don't know actually because I, I suspect the UN hasn't actually drawn up any plans for this. Even though Putin's been flagging an invasion now for several months, you've had Russian troops massing on the border with Ukraine since March last year, and it was only a few weeks ago actually that the Biden administration woke up to the reality that uh, Ukraine was likely to be invaded. Uh, but as for the United Nations, I have to say that uh, you know the uh, the UN tends to be an institution that uh, does you know very little uh, good at times of international uh, crisis, and it's often on the, completely on the sidelines or completely useless. We saw that with Afghanistan, where uh, I mean the UN role there as the Taliban took over Afghanistan was 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 close to zero actually, and I suspect that it's going to be the same on the on the Ukraine uh, front and with the Russians chairing the UN Security Council, you're not going to be seeing many resolutions from the UN Security Council condemning uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That that's for sure
1: nile thanks for being with us we appreciate it
2: my pleasure thanks very much Bob. coming up we're going to broaden out the news here to the quick hits that we haven't gotten to yet stay with us
1: a lot of focus today of course on the war in ukraine there are some other news stories we want to bring to your attention also some let's just say, secondary stories for your consideration that tie into Ukraine, and that's why we have Quick Hits to bring it all together for you to finish up the show. People like his books on horror stories or whatever, and there are movies made out of them. Um, he should stick to clowns that attack people with knives or toasters that come alive and eat people or whatever it is. Stephen King is out there, and he has one of the... Uh, the Great hot takes, I've got to say, by great I mean awful, on the issue of this Ukraine fighting. He put out that, quote, Mr. Putin, this was on Monday, Mr. Putin has made a serious miscalculation. He forgot he's no longer dealing with Trump. Oh, okay. Do people really have this kind of hero worship? I mean, someone who you would think has a pretty high IQ, pretty high brain power, someone like Stephen King, just based on his books, he would really think that... Joe Biden is a man who is formidable, intellectually, in terms of character, or otherwise, he really thinks that Joe Biden's the guy to get all this done. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? But a lot of people out there, they acted like this. I still remember in New York City when they announced that Joe Biden was the winner of the 2020 election. There was the honking of horns the cheering and shouting in the streets, people acting like the Messiah had arrived, and it was Joe Biden, folks. A, dementia patient on some days and on others, just a third tier politician with a fourth tier mind who somehow is now commander in chief and president of the United States. It's shocking to see, but this is what we're dealing with. And it's not as though Biden's advisors, the people around him show tremendous competence and seem like the kind of people you'd want making really important decisions about much of anything. In fact, here is the former Secretary of State, current envoy for climate, because that's a position, that's a policy matter that we have to have looked at very closely. John Kerry, who was saying, remember, there there are bombs exploding in the capital of Ukraine in Kiev right now. There are people who are uh, hiding in bomb shelters, and civilian casualties are inevitable in this conflict right now. But John Kerry's worried about how This could distract from our ability to get Putin to act on the primary national security threat the Democrats believe uh, is out there, which is climate change. Watch.
4: I'm very concerned about, I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity and I hope diplomacy will win but massive uh, emissions consequences to the war but equally importantly you're going to lose people's focus you're going to lose uh, certainly big country attention because they will be diverted and and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact so you know I think hopefully president putin would realize that in the northern part of his country they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate.
1: Yeah, the threat of the tundra thawing in Russia is gonna really get Putin's attention here and make him stop this aggressive invasion of a neighboring country. That guy was Secretary of State. He was almost president. He was a Democrat's nominee for president back in the day, you recall. So stunning to see how this continues to play out with some of the biggest buffoons you can imagine in top national security positions all around the U.S. government, or in the case of climate envoy, whatever that's supposed to mean, Absurd. taxpayers, putting the bill for that makes it sick. And then there's Joy Behar. Yeah national security analyst extraordinaire, Joy Behar. She's out there letting everybody know that, you know, she wants to go to Italy and first COVID stopped her. And now this war in Ukraine, these are the important things she's thinking about.
2: What I also thought about was the fact that estimates are 50,000 Ukrainians mm-hmm. will be dead or wounded. Yeah. And that this is going to start a humanitarian crisis, a refugee crisis in Europe. We're talking yeah. about 5 million people yeah. that, that are gonna be displaced. Yeah. I mean it's it's heartbreaking to hear what is going
6: to happen yeah well i'm scared of what's going to happen in in western europe too yeah Yeah. you know you just you plan a trip you want to go there i want to go to italy for four years i haven't been able to make it because of of uh the pandemic and now this you know it's it's like who's gonna what's gonna happen
2: there
1: yeah the big problems we all face those delayed trips to uh, italy We'll have more for you tomorrow. Hold the line. Thanks for being here. Uh, we got the Bill O'Reilly Show up next. The No Spin News. Shields high.